don't know me, my name's Tricia, and this morning's Bible reading is from Romans 11, verses 1 to 10. You can find it, this is the NIV version, I'll appear on the overhead, please read along um, either on the overhead or in your own app. Romans 11, verses 1 to 10. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew. Don't you know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left, and they are trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Trish. Uh, I'm on my bike riding home from work uh, past the cemetery, and it's a Tuesday evening this week, just gone. The sun's going down. It's one of those evenings where there's enough uh, clouds to make the sunset interesting, but uh, too many for it to be truly stunning. And I turn and look across the cemetery and uh, I see the crosses, the stone crosses on top of marble headstones as far as the eye can see. I've seen these before, but today I'm struck with sadness because they remind me that uh, once upon a time, the people of inner Melbourne uh, wanted to honour Christ and to uh, own his name, even in death. Uh, We still have the relics of their faith carved in the stone-cold crosses, soaring cathedrals and churches on prominent street corners. Uh, But we know inner-city Melbourne is no longer a place uh, where most people want to honour Christ, even in in life, let alone in death, Uh, even as we heard from uh, two of our teenagers at inner-city high schools. My grandparents tell me about Uh, setting up for Sunday school back in the 60s. They had to borrow benches from the local kindergarten because they had 400 kids coming along. Imagine our kids' church with 400 kids. We'd need a bigger sunbeams program. (laughs) Today, their church has aged and shrunk and been amalgamated with another local parish. It's a common story. Back in 1966, probably about the time they're talking about, 88% of Australians said they were Christians on the census. Today, that, uh, well, in 2016, sorry, that figure was 52%. And uh, any pundit can tell you that it's going to be lower again when they do the census this year. 
Last week, Peter Fitzsimons, a noted atheist and uh, columnist with the Sydney Morning Herald, wrote an article titled, Australians are becoming less religious, so what's with our PM? Right? Everywhere we look, we're reminded that churches are empty and Christians are an anomaly. We're out of place in an ever more secular world, not only here, but in Britain, the US and across the Western world. Clearly, God has left the building. Somewhere along the way, we've done something wrong and God has abandoned us. And so we feel like we're on our own. We're trying to resist a a cultural tide sweeping away our Christian heritage and at the same time sweeping us off the solid rock of faith in Christ. And so if we find ourselves asking, has God rejected Australia? How much more are the people of Israel asking, has God rejected us? I'm aware of the significant conflict in Israel and Palestine this week. I'm not weighing in on that when I talk about Israel this morning. I want to actually go further back to the Israel of New Testament times, when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans and the Israelites were wondering this question, did God reject his people? Has God rejected us? Because remember who uh, Israel were. They're the descendants of Abraham. God made promises to them. They were his special possession. He was going to save the whole creation through them. And so in Paul's day, uh, Israel has God's temple in the centre of Jerusalem. And they have the word of God passed down from their ancestors. But when God's great saviour comes, when the Lord Jesus comes to call a people to himself, where are they? Nowhere to be found. Jesus is calling a new people to himself, but as we've heard over the last few weeks, only a few from Israel trust him, while most reject him. As the end of last week's passage, chapter 10, verse 21 said, All day long I, that's that's God in this case, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So a fair question, especially if you're an Israelite yourself, is, well, has God rejected his people? Has God abandoned Israel, the nation that he's been with through so much? Remember, God rescued them from slavery. He spoke words of power and wisdom to them. He protected them from enemies. He gave them a land flowing with milk and honey. He sent them prophets and priests and kings to lead them. He disciplined them when they turned away from him, and then he redeemed them from exile. He's been with them every step of the way. But has God now finally rejected his people? Is this the straw that breaks the camel's back? Uh, I love uh, hiking. One of my favourite memories is hiking with friends from school. We camped by this uh, beautiful lake and then the next morning uh, we had a massive hill to climb. And this hill was so steep that our walking track Uh, couldn't go straight up the hill. It actually had to go uh, side to side across the hill, this little track that we're walking up, gradually getting higher and higher. Now, I've heard the book of Romans uh, called the Himalayas of the Bible. And so sometimes reading this book is like climbing a mountain, right, with some sharp turns. We we can't go straight up. But the view at the top is going to be worth it. So it seems like God has rejected his people Israel. But be ready for the sharp turn. What does verse 1 here say? Did God reject his people? 
By no means. By no means. Uh, and it's got an exclamation mark, so you know it's really serious, right? Uh, actually, other translations say, absolutely not. Of course not. Uh, the King James even says, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. Right? There's no stronger way to say, not on your life. You think the path keeps going straight up? No, no, we take a hairpin bend here, right? turning back on ourselves but getting higher up the mountain. So Paul says, no way, God has not rejected his people. Uh, well, what evidence do you have, Paul? What arguments is he going to draw on to persuade us that just because lots of Israelites have abandoned God, it doesn't mean God has abandoned them? And perhaps in the back of our minds, we're wondering, what evidence is there that God has not abandoned us here in Australia? Well, he's got three reasons for Israel. Uh, firstly, and with apologies to moving pictures and Shannon Knoll, he says, what about me? What about me? Not because it isn't fair, uh, but because if you look at the rest of verse 1, I am an Israelite myself, he says, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. Paul is saying, what about me? Hang on, I'm an Israelite. God can't have abandoned Israel because I am an Israelite. I'm descended from Abraham and I'm a Christian. God is still having mercy on Israel because there are still Israelites like me who have found new life in Christ. If you're feeling abandoned or disappointed by God, don't forget the people he has saved, like me, says Paul. Now we know that Australia is not Israel. God has not made promises to this nation uh, like he did to Israel. But we could say something similar when we feel like God has abandoned our nation. What about us? Take a step back and see. Don't take your brothers and sisters for granted. We are evidence that God is still having mercy on people in Australia. Or look at our Indigenous brothers and sisters. Aboriginal Australians are significantly more likely to identify and be Christians than the general population. And while we take the, the census data, perhaps with a sizable grain of salt, uh, we can see that God is still at work in Australia, even though we're not Israel. So what about me? That's, that's one reason uh, that God hasn't rejected Israel. And then there's a second reason in verse 2. God did not reject his people, whom he foreknew. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Uh, we need to look into this word foreknow because it sounds like it's saying uh, God knew about them in advance, like he can predict the future, right? And he didn't reject them. But it's actually more than that. He's actually saying they're bound for glory. That's the second reason. They're bound for glory. Listen to what Paul said a few chapters ago about those whom God foreknew. This is from uh, the end of chapter 8, chapter 8, verse 29 and 30. It says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. It's like a train, destination, glory, right? And conformity to Christ. 
uh, stopping all stations, passing through predestination, calling and justification. This train is bound for glory. And when God foreknows you, he books you a ticket and he makes sure you're on that train. So if God foreknows you, he doesn't just know where you're headed. He gets you there because he loves you and he's committed to you. God's foreknowledge is his prior commitment to us in love. His prior commitment to us in love. It means we're safe in his care. He doesn't just know what's coming. He guarantees what's coming. This is true of the people Israel. God is committed to the whole people, not to every single individual. Remember Paul talked about Jacob and Esau back in chapter 9 to make this point. But he is committed in love to the Israelites. God will continue uh, to preserve a remnant from Abraham's children. God will not forsake those he foreknew. And friends, this applies to more than just Israel. No, God's word doesn't say anywhere that he foreknew Australia. But it does say he foreknew each and every one of us in Christ. If you trust Jesus, then you're on the train. God has called you, he has justified you, and you are bound for glory. Maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe you feel like you're not a good Christian, or perhaps deep down you're ashamed of something before God. Maybe you're struggling with mental health issues or stress. Maybe reconnecting after COVID is just exhausting and overwhelming for you. Whatever these struggles, God's foreknowledge means he's driving the train, not you. So it doesn't matter if you're sitting or standing, if you're running backwards or you're curled up in the fetal position on the train. You're on the train. God is committed to you in love and he'll get us there. This is the great security and comfort that comes from God's foreknowledge. We're bound for glory along with everyone in Christ, everyone God foreknew. And then Paul has a third point, a third piece of evidence to show how God has not rejected his people. This one's a cover version. What about me featuring Elijah? Okay, verse 2 to 4, Paul briefly summarises a story from the Old Testament. Uh, Elijah is a prophet under one of the worst kings in Israel's history, King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel institute the worship of Baal, a pagan storm god worshipped by prostitution. And they start killing the prophets of the true God. Uh, Many of them die and Elijah, one of the prophets, is on the run. He has a dramatic showdown with the prophets of Baal where he shows how God controls the rain and not Baal. And then he's on the run again. And so he cries out to God in verse 3, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they're trying to kill me. This is Elijah's what about me moment. It isn't fair. Don't you care about me, God? Don't you care that Israel has rejected you and the faithful are being slaughtered? But what about your love and commitment to us, God? What does God say? It's there in verse 4. I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. 
actually, you're not alone, Elijah. I know what's happening, and I'm protecting my people. I'm saving a remnant from what's going on. I'm saving a remnant for myself. Can you see the pattern here? Israel have rejected God before. And God uh, responds not by rejecting them, but by saving some, rescuing a remnant and keeping them for himself. That's how he keeps his promise to Israel. As verse 5 says, So too at the present time, with many Jews rejecting Jesus, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. God rescues a remnant, a small portion who continue to enjoy God's blessings even when the rest of Israel has rejected him. So this is how God keeps his promise to Israel uh, when they walk away from him. But what does that mean for us? Are we a remnant people too? Friends, maybe you've been feeling a little uncomfortable as the Bible talks about God for knowing us, choosing an elect people, saving a remnant. Uh, If that's you feeling that discomfort, I'm willing to guess that at least part of it is because it sounds arrogant. It sounds like we think we're better than others. That's why God chooses us. That's why God loves us more. Being chosen by God is a great excuse to pour judgment on everyone else who isn't part of God's chosen people. Let me give you an example. Uh, Wikipedia tells me that there's a remnant church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, basically a splinter group for Mormonism. They think the Mormons got it wrong back in the 80s and now they're the one true church. They're the, the remnant calling the rest of Mormonism to repent. It's easy to feel superior when you claim the title of remnant because surely God chose you because you're better than the others. Except that's not what it says. In fact, it says the opposite. God's remnant is chosen by grace in verse 5. And verse 6 makes it doubly clear in case we missed the point. If by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. The remnant from Israel in Paul's day are no better than the rest. Paul himself was persecuting Christians, if you remember. He was not the best of the Israelites. So they're not more righteous or better people. They don't deserve better treatment from God. They haven't done anything to deserve this. If celebrities can stand up at the Oscars and say, I'm humbled to receive this award for a movie they no doubt worked very hard on, how much more should we be humbled for a blessing we've done nothing to receive? God chooses his remnant purely on grace, his kindness, not our merit. Uh, That was true of Israel. That's true of us as well. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. We're just as fallible as the next person. We're just as prone to error. Our supposedly Christian heritage in this nation is riddled with sin. Some of it uh, needs to be swept away. In a world where we're encouraged to uh, insist upon our rights and stand up for ourselves, 
wouldn't humility be a far better Christian legacy to leave? A far better witness to God's grace, to the power of the gospel? Because being a remnant doesn't make us better than anyone. We're only here by God's grace. So has God rejected his people? No way. Israel is secure because God foreknows them and he's saving a remnant by grace, as he's always done in the past. Okay, but, but what about the rest of Israel? What about the non-remnant, the Israelites who've not turned to Christ? Uh, sadly, they're not chosen by grace, they're hardened by grace. Verse 7 says, What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly, they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened. They haven't obtained what they sought so earnestly. A couple of weeks ago, we saw how Israel stumbled because they pursued God by works, not by faith. They were zealous, but without knowledge. Now they're seeking earnestly, but they don't obtain their goal. Unfortunately, friends, it seems that sincerity is not enough. It does matter what you believe, even if you're sincere. In their earnestness, they have missed Christ and his offer of grace. They've rejected what God is doing for them. And so they haven't obtained what they're seeking. And God hardens them in that resistance to him. We've seen this dynamic before. You might remember when people reject God, sometimes he hardens them, as we saw with Pharaoh back in chapter 9. Unless God gives us a new heart, the same gospel that calls us to him hardens us against him. Instead of his Holy Spirit, they receive a spirit of stupor. They're blind to God. Verse 8 here that, that has this quote, it's actually a mashup of two quotes, from uh, one from Deuteronomy, one from Isaiah, because uh, both Moses and Isaiah faced this from Israel as well. And then in verse 9, we see that David faced it too, God's anointed king, when Israel, the Israelites were hunting him and trying to kill the king that God had anointed for them. And he writes this wish that uh, the people who had put gall in his food and given him dinner to drink, that their table would become a snare to them. In God's purposes for humanity and for the world, he is entitled to harden people, to give them over to the consequences of their rejection, uh, particularly when they've had every opportunity to hear his word and respond to him. He hardens some from Israel who reject Christ. Next week we're going to see whether, uh, how, whether that hardening is, is forever or not. But that's next week. And yet despite Israel's rejection of God, God hasn't rejected them. He hadn't rejected them then and he hasn't rejected them now. God is still calling Jews to Christ today just as he's calling Arab, Israelis and Palestinians and others from the Middle East and around the world. 
The website Jews for Jesus tells the stories of many Jews who trust Jesus today. One of them is a man called Emmanuel Mabasa. He writes about how Jewish faith in Jesus was handed down in his family from generation to generation, both sides of his family, in fact. And so he says, my parents are Jewish Iranian believers in Jesus. Jewish Iranian believers in Jesus. His story is a great reminder to us that just because a lower percentage of people are following Christ in Australia and in the West, it doesn't mean that God is not still at work calling and growing a people for himself. Despite our assumptions here about growing secularism, uh, sociologists predict a more religious world by 2060, not less. A world with less atheists, agnostics and non-religious. The average Anglican today is not an old white man in Britain or the US. Far more likely to be a black teenage girl in Nigeria or Uganda. Even in China, a country that has actively opposed Christianity, there could well be more Christians there than in the US by the end of the decade. It could even be a majority Christian country by 2050, according to something that I read. Uh, let me show you a book. I've got these stats. I've got these stats from this book, Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions for the World's Largest Religion, uh, by Rebecca McLaughlin. And it really tackles this uh, assumption of growing secularism head on. Uh, I'd really encourage you to uh, yeah, have a read uh, if, if you're interested in that. And it's got some great uh, both uh, cutting-edge research uh, as well as theology and uh, personal stories that uh, really make quite a compelling case. So what have we learnt uh, from God's word today? Let's pull it together. God doesn't reject those he foreknows. So, even if the crosses in the cemetery are crumbling, even if we have less political power and our culture rejects God's grace and lordship, even if we Christians are, are not only anomalies, but perhaps dangerous anomalies one day. We're not going to be left crying out, what about me? Because God will not abandon us. He won't reject his people, whether Jew or Gentile in Christ. He won't reject the remnant he chose by grace. That's good news for the people of Israel. That's good news for you and me. That's good news for our world. God has not rejected those whom he foreknew. So let's pray and give God thanks for his, uh, his foreknowledge of us. Our loving Father, we uh, give you great thanks for your faithfulness to us. It's, though we are uh, often fickle and unfaithful, you are faithful and you keep us and preserve those you foreknew. Please comfort us with your loving commitment to us, particularly when we're weak or struggling. Lord, please... Protect us from misguided earnestness 
that would seek to win your favour by works rather than receiving it by grace. Lord, when we feel pessimistic about uh, the state of this place we live in, would you renew our hope in you? Would you remind us that our hope has has only ever been based in Christ? Might we see your grace save more people here in Melbourne, in Australia, but also around the world, we pray. Because we want to see Jesus honoured and glorified. We want to see people proclaim the truth of who he is and what he's done for us. And so we pray in his name. Amen. Friends, we're going to respond by uh, singing. If you're part of Second Breakfast, now's the the time to head out to the courtyard.